somebody from the creative team of them has clearly put a root on us. And this is just where we are this afternoon. <laughs> to say, this is proof of the suppression of black media by the government because they don't want us telling the truth. <laughs> Stop sounding like all of my uncles. <laughs> I sound like my uncle. <laughs> this is such a nightmare. Can you still not hear me? Now we hear you. Okay. No, we can hear you now. <laughs> <laughs> now we need a bloopers episode <laughs> yeah for real <laughs> sure, I might use that for the intro <laughs> <laughs> What a week! What a week! <laughs> Welcome, scorekeepers! Live, well, not live, but coming to you from the uh, the land of the Dakota, also known as the Twin Cities. It is the score for the week of what is today? I don't even know what today is. Does that even matter? We're in the middle of this pashmina. There's people. <laughs> And everything's going crazy in the city. I don't even know what to do with myself. How, how it, oh, hi, I'm Rocky, by the way. Um, As always, I'm here with Lee and Paige. (laughs) How are you two doing today? I'm going crazy. You know, I'm going to say the same thing I've said in every meeting I have arrived at since Sunday. I'm here. I I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Doing well as I possibly could right now. Yeah. Giving well, giving the awful circumstances. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. It really it's rough. is. Yeah. Yeah, it really and is. And Lee, how are you doing so new to the area? <laughs> right. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, it's, you know, a, such a complicated time to be anywhere but you know for this to be happening within the first month that I moved to the Twin Cities it's a a real education in where we are and the work that needs to be done here and you know sort of where we find ourselves as a black community at this particular moment so it's not it is not necessarily a a fun time but I do think it's you know an important time for my own education and reflection and understanding of who I am and where I fit into all of this. I, you know, do wish this first month felt and looked a little different, but, you know, those are not the cards that we've been dealt, so. Well, I hear that. I hear that. You know, for for anyone, and I have met a surprise, surprising number of people in the last few days who are unaware of what's going on um yeah. which is shocking yeah. <laughs> which is just shocking i've had to explain this to a number of people but um you know we are currently mourning the murder of a young 20 year old man named dante wright who on sunday was pulled over mm-hmm. for no good reason mm-hmm. um, in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, which is a suburb which is about 10 minutes outside of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. where, of course, currently the Derek Chauvin trial um, is happening. Uh, he was pulled over by police um, for having an expired tag. Um, as we all know, the Minnesota DMV is backlogged about three to four months. Um, So police departments have been instructed not to pull people over for expired tags for the time being, but okay. So they pulled him over. Um, Turns out that he had a warrant out for his arrest. I read a report that apparently the warrant was because he had missed a court date and he missed that court date because the summons was sent to the wrong address. So he didn't even know there was a warrant out for his arrest. Good God. Um, Mm. In the ensuing 
struggle for they were taking him into custody. Uh, he was attempting to get back into the car where his girlfriend was on the phone with his mother. We see all of this on the body cam footage. Um, you hear the officer um, screaming, you know, to tase him, tase him, tase him. She pulls out a gun, shoots him, um, and he it was murdered again in front yeah. of our eyes. Another yeah. black man. <laughs> and so, of course, um, the community in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of another trial of another police officer who killed another black person in front of all of our eyes. Um, you know, we have to we have to deal with this trauma again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just been <laughs> a really grim week. Yeah. Yeah. For all of us. Yeah. Um, but especially, you know, for the Wright family, you know, I just want to send mm-hmm. love and condolences for them and you know in the chat or rather in the show notes in the chat you know we're on zoom right now um but you know in the show notes i will of course you know provide some links you know if you want to donate to you know any of dante's funeral expenses any you know he had a a young child um that they're raising funds for um you know there has been unrest for the past three nights in brooklyn center a number of businesses um you know could use some help as well mutual aid funds bail funds for protesters um so all of that will be in the show notes but you know i I just want to i i know it's such a a difficult subject to talk about um you know especially in the wake of all of the chauvin mess that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks but i don't know i mean where do we go from here (laughs) i don't even know you know yeah Yeah. this week has felt like just trying to like keep uh filter or lid on what feels like just a lot of ancestral rage at the moment yeah and like this again is just especially the the circumstances around dante's murder just are really highlighting like how much of a community impact these murders have that our system of policing has in general um it's just it it really (laughs) struck me when i think it was dante's aunt said that george floyd's girlfriend used to be dante's teacher was one of dante's teachers it like highlights that like these are communities that are being impacted these are like real people like it is a like interconnected network of families of friends of teachers of everybody in your community that's that's impacted when these things happen and speaking speaking of that as you were naming putting resources in the show notes for people um a lot of the funds you may see may just be for families that are that are impacted by by the protest um dante was murdered in an area that seemed pretty residential like there's a lot of there even if you watch the news the like live streams of protests and things there's a lot of apartment buildings there with with families with young children with elders uh who not only had to you know witness this violence and then you know experiencing all this grief around that one site and and things like tear gas and yeah. mm-hmm. in their homes and stuff like that. So yeah, some of the, the funds that you, some of the funds you see may be for that. And know that is a really like worthy cause because those people need support right now as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy thing to be confronted multiple times over the course of just a few months with the question of, 
what is the value of my life in this society? You know what I mean? And when, when you're thinking about the number of times these things have been over, you know, a parking ticket, um, selling Lucy's, you know, a possibly counterfeit $20 bill, or what's, you know, even worse, and probably what's at the actual root of most of it, just someone, a non-black person's fear of black people, you know, like that moment. And to have to find myself asking the same question multiple times in a year, you know, like, do we matter? It's, it's a very, very strange and disconnected place to be. You know, and, and I, I try to be both positive and solutions oriented, right? And it's one of the things I really appreciate about this job is I, I get to be in a space where my function is one of problem solving, right? But it seems like the, the problem that fundamentally needs to be solved here is that everything, the, the thrust of American society is one that leaves us questioning if, if black people have any value broadly to society in the eyes of most non-black people. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. having to ask mm -hmm. yourself that question. And it, it's just, it's terrifying and it's exhausting. I, I kept wondering why am I so tired for the last couple of days? I, I haven't done that much more than I do on a typical week and I think it's just it's just everything. Like it's of one of those tired. weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course you're tired. We're, yeah. <sighs> How could you not be tired? I, I know. I mean, that's, you know, but it, because it's like such a, a, a present condition, right? The ubiquity mm -hmm. of these mm -hmm. issues that you don't even think about the fact that you're, you're carrying, first of all, you're carrying all of this generational trauma, right? And then you're sort of going through the motions of your regular life, you know, buying groceries, making coffee, cleaning your living room, and then questioning if society thinks that you are supposed to exist at the same time. Like the, the level of fatigue that I, I would imagine most black people are experiencing right now is, you know, something that's hard to wrap your mind around. And it's to the point that I've started signing off emails to friends and colleagues with like a list of mental health resources at the end, just because I'm so worried about where people are with this and whether or not people are even in a place where they know that this is a part of what you're experiencing and it has to be processed, it has to be addressed. I was saying to someone this morning because you know, it, it really does in certain ways kind of feel like the same, some of the same beats are being hit mm -hmm. emotionally as last summer. And one of those is like getting concerned emails and texts from mm -hmm. very, very well-intentioned, well-meaning white friends, mm -hmm. you know, checking up on me and seeing how I'm doing. And, you know, this morning I wrote back to one of them and I just said, you know what, this is, this is actually, I don't think you realize that this is just an everyday fact of life for black Americans everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we're dealing with this right now in Minnesota, but the other day, you know, in Virginia, California, mm -hmm. Texas, Tennessee, all over the place, mm -hmm. every day we are dealing with this. And, you know, and, and right now, you know, I live about 30 minutes away from Brooklyn Center. I woke up this morning in a warm house next to a man that I love. I said good morning to my cat. I made a pot of coffee. I answered some emails. You know, I went about the my, you know, regular daily life. And I understand how extraordinarily privileged I am to be able to do those things. Um, but knowing full well in the back of my mind that due to just the society that we live in, that this could arrive at my doorstep at any moment. Any moment. Mm -hmm. In any, any moment. number of variety of ways, whether it's, 
you know, something awful happens to me or God forbid something happens to a friend or a family member or even just, you know, the dude that I say hi to at the gas station. Yeah. Those people matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's so just, it feels so heavy yeah. and so, so huge. Just so expansive. Um, And it seems like, you know, from the outside, what people are looking at this as is just a series of kind of isolated incidents. Like, oh, like this cop over here made a mistake or, you know, this cop over here, you know, was fearful for their lives or instead of the large systemic issue that we all have to live under every single day every single moment of our lives you know i don't i don't have my driver's license i grew up on the east coast um spent most of my childhood and 20s in either washington dc or new york city where it's actually prohibitive to have a car (laughs) for any number of reasons um so you know i don't drive i rely on public transportation and whatnot and you know monday evening my husband came home and for years he's been like can you just please get your license like this is kind of annoying and he came home and for the first time he was like i actually don't want you to get your license now Like, Mm -hmm. it actually kind of scares me, the Mm -hmm. thought of you having your license. And not just Mm -hmm. because, like, I'm scatterbrained and clumsy, but. (laughs) (laughs) And to hear that come out of his mouth. Yeah. um, Yeah. You know, that there are just parts of daily life that, like, you know, people take for granted that we just can't. Um. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what the period on the end of that sentence is. Yeah. Other than it's just something has to something has to change and something yeah. has to give. And these are not just isolated incidents. These are a a large pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That in it it's it's like a disease that has infected every corner of this country. Yeah. And even globally, it's not even just this country, but it seems like here in America, it's so virulent Mm -hmm. and people just don't want to see it and they don't want to talk about it. And they just want to say like, oh, well, you know, this is this is this one incident and it was an accident and she meant to pull out a taser and she meant to pull out a a, but she actually pulled out a gun and and, you know, it's horrible, but it's an accident. Well, okay, but like. We know that it's not an isolated incident because 10 minutes, like 10 minutes wow. away at the Hennepin County Courthouse. <laughs> Hello. <Right. laughs> and these and, are not isolated incidents. And pretending like the fact that it perhaps was an accident in any way mitigates any of this, right? It, as if that right. somehow would mean that there wouldn't still need to be a set of consequences, right? And And I think it's kind of amazing. I've been in the the workforce for 20 some years and I worked at, you know, Walgreens, you know, as a summer job once and saw people lose their jobs for making significantly smaller accidents than Mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? And, and the fact that, that it just, for me goes back to beyond the patterns, it's just a condition. It's the condition of being black here. Right. And and to your point, Rocky, I think the reason that it feels like it's different in the United States is our national obsession with guns exacerbates mm-hmm. all of this. So like Ooh, there, there's always mm-hmm. a, a fatal end to these things. Right. It, it, mm-hmm. it can't just exist in a place of, you know, someone said something untoward or or, you know, people feeling unwelcomed in spaces like that is hugely problematic. But that's not someone ending up dead, right? And because we have this long history of devaluing black people and anything that is associated with black people, it becomes very easy for society writ large to kind of sweep stuff like this right under the rug and, and keep it moving. And 
you know, at, at some point you think we're going to hit rock bottom, but it's like, no, no, you know, we'll be here again next week. You know, we'll, we'll be here again next week. And it, it's never lost on me that as many of these names as we know, and as many of these names as we say out loud, we're not even hearing probably a third, a quarter of the stories of people whose lives are being devastated by very, very similar actions all over this country. We're not even hearing about it. I mean, these are just the ones that happen to be caught on tape. And, you know, those tapes are actually making it to the media outlets to be distributed. There are so many more instances of this that we're, we're never even going to know about. Yeah, it happens. It's <laughs> really, especially I think if you're, if you're black and you're, if you're in an area that is like known to have a large police mm-hmm. presence, you know that this is, yeah. that this is a, a, a daily thing. Like it's yeah. part of why, you know, we talk about all of us getting the talk growing up mm-hmm. about like mm-hmm. how to act around law enforcement or around around police and that's not just because of like the cases that everyone hears about of police brutality it's not just because of you know what they saw on the national news that made them scared and made them feel like they should talk to me about police it was their everyday experiences like their their actual life experiences and one of the things that that really really stood out to me um as when they, you know, revealed that it was Officer Kim Potter who mm-hmm. who shot Dante. Um, one of the first things in the news article was an officer of 26 years. Right. 26 years. At first, I, at first I read it wrong. I, I was said, oh, 26 years old. Oh, they're young. And I was like, oh, no, 26 years of experience. My and God. she is the president of the police union in Brooklyn Center. Wow. Oh, currently? Or is that formerly? Wow. Well, I mean, she's resigned now. Either either way. At the time of her resignation, yes. She was the president of the police union. Yeah. So I'm like, if if a 26-year veteran of the police force that can make this quote-unquote mistake, like, what does that say about just the the culture? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like and what was? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no! Just yeah. <laughs> just what does that that say about the culture that someone who is supposed to have been you know risen risen through the ranks and seems to have had some type of you know accolade or being a you know union president is th- mm-hmm. th- that this is what happens. I, you know, I think it I was... speaks to 26 years of having certain kinds of messages reinforced and mm-hmm. codified in policies to the point that people are clearly way too comfortable with a certain power gradient that really has black people at in a place, right, where this is a thing that her captain felt like he could just come out the next day in a press conference and say, it was an accident. I, I mean, like... Mm. I mean, it was like three weeks ago in Atlanta where the police captain came out and said the, the guy who shot those people was having a bad day. He was it's having like, a oh bad my day. God. Like, what? Do you know how many I bad just... days I've had? <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, I, I, I can't even wrap my mind around it. You know, and it's there. I wish I could. I knew who to attribute it to, but I was scrolling through Twitter the other night. And somebody was just like, you know, can you imagine if somebody, you know, at McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's, like, put cyanide on the fries instead of salt by accident? But, like, (laughs) but they were wearing their uniform. Right. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, can you imagine if that was that mistake was made? Like, that person would be under the jail. Uh, Immediately. Okay. There would be no question about it. And I think we have to we have to talk about or mention <laughs> the fact that a uh, blue line flag was flown at the police station after 
Are you serious? I I am. I wish. Completely. I I actually sat here and looked it up again just to make sure I wasn't wrong and that it hadn't been proven wrong. So I'm not talking crazy on this podcast, but it actually happened. It actually happened. And, you know, there. Mm. Just the like what that means and the the clear statement. Yeah. Behind that. Yeah. About yeah. Uh, like it's. I I struggle to even find like yeah. language for for what that to to just properly describe the violence of of that and how it kind of just it just shows that like a belief in. We have mm-hmm. a right to do this. Mm-hmm. We have a mm-hmm. uh, like a right to do this. Like stand standing up firm in it. I ooh. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't cuss the way I want to when I think about how that makes me feel. <laughs> when I think want, about how that makes that me feel. Tag. No 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 no. No, oh I'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna keep it cute. But I invite you all to think about about just what that means yeah feel free to turn this down we'll give you a few minutes y'all can cuss (laughs) in your car (laughs) cuss in your homes whatever you need to do but you know so much of of what i've i've seen and sort of received from folks has been like well like i just can't imagine what this what this feels like for you I can't imagine. Well, you know what? You you don't have to imagine. Yeah. Because here we are and we're telling you. Yeah. You just got to believe us. You just have to believe us. And actually act on it. Yeah. Well, that's the piece, right? Getting people to act on it. I, I think we're at a point where people are, you know, believing it. But are are people willing to part with some of their own comfort and their own privilege to do something about it, to be ready for things to look different, right? People are willing to go mm-hmm. a long way in the conversation, but want to pump the brakes right before the point of let's start talking critically about solutions, right? And then people want to get caught up on, well, if you say defund the police, it's going to make people feel like this. So you use these different terms. And I feel like if we are still in a place where we're arguing about terminology, then we're not actually ready to take a step. We're not actually ready for any action. You know what I mean? Like people are 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 still not quite there yet. And I'm so curious about what it will take for people to want this to look different. I'm yeah. so curious about it. Oh, well, uh, a little bit of good news. The uh, Yes for Minneapolis uh, petition that I mentioned before got all the signatures they needed. Oh, hallelujah. Oh. Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, there you yeah. go. To say, that well, is, that's a bright spot. Right? And in case y'all missed it, that is a proposal to change the Minneapolis city. Well, this is Minneapolis, not not Brooklyn Center, unfortunately, where, where Dante Wright was murdered. But in Minneapolis, very close by, Um yeah, it is a proposal to change the city charter, um, removing police from the charter and replacing it with a department of, I think, public health and safety or so- something mm-hmm. along those mm-hmm. along those lines or mm-hmm. along that wording. So yay for, for signatures to get it on the ballot to make it, you know, able to be decided on in the first place. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. Well, well, I suppose we should get on with the business of the rest of the show, but we just felt remiss if we did not. That was that's sitting heavy on all of our hearts today, and so mm-hmm. I'm sure it's sitting heavy on most of y'all's hearts as well. So we just want to say, you know, we love y'all, and check out the show notes. And if you're feeling powerless. There's things to do. There's at least steps to take. And uh, thank you. And I love you both, too. Oh, I love you both. Can we also transition with a deep breath? Yes. Yeah, let's Everybody, do let's okay. deep breath. All right. <laughs> Inhale. <Yeah>. Exhale. <sighs> All right. Onward. 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 Yeah.
our little break, y'all. Um, we need to take a breather after that one. So, <laughs> but in a related vein, I wanted to talk about what has been in some entertainment news lately about a new show called Them that is a uh, like horror, uh, thriller kind of series um, that is seems to be pretty based in racial trauma. It is about a black family uh, moving near some very antagonistic uh, white neighbors. And from, I think from the moment that even the premise was described, I I saw some some feedback on the internets of, ah, this may be not what we need right now. But once the trailer (laughs) dropped. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, seems timing seems a little off. Um, But once the full trailer was released and then uh, the series and people actually, you know, gotten to see some of it. Now it's uh, now it's really um, out there. And, you know, I'll, you know, summarize and then we'll get into how, how we feel about it. But the main sentiment is just or sentiments. One, how come all the black horror movies coming out right now have to be based on racial trauma? Right. Two, why are we making movies like this about racial trauma at all? Why is that all that has to be out there? And, and something that um, a story like this about a, a black family experiencing racism from white neighbors that is extremely you know realistic Mm -hmm. things that i'm sure people that each of us know even in our immediate families have experienced i'll tell you right now it's not a fairy tale no it's not Mm -mm. fiction it's not Mm -mm. (laughs) it's 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 an everyday reality for every one of us and it it struck me as being a little different from something like um like what Jordan Peele is doing or uh, like with with Get Out. I mean, one, it was like kind of ahead of the curve of like this, you know, new wave of black horror um, films and series coming out. But even though there were like some really, of course, moments that we all identify with, with (laughs) with how we deal with white folks. I mean, ultimately, you know, it had a twist that was like, whoa, like, (laughs) like that's out there, you know, not, not like so realistic that it's like, yes, I've experienced that exact thing of, right. I, I don't, it's been years now. We could spoil that film, but you yeah, know, if you haven't it's, seen it by now, then you're not <laughs> going to see it. <laughs> I, I haven't seen Get Out. Ooh. I know that was directed to you. I know. I know. <laughs> then I, I won't. I won't it. say nothing. Then I'll just say no, the no, end is not what you think it will be. No, it's fine. It's fine. You can spoil it. <laughs> I, I don't mess with horror movies. I just don't mess with horror movies in general. Yeah. Like yeah. that's like my number one thing. Like I just. I have no interest in seeing anyone's trauma, yeah. um, you know, put on screen like that. That's but like, especially us. Yeah. I just, I just, no, thank you. No, understandable. Yeah. But yeah, I open it up to see how y'all feel about it, and especially the involvement of black creatives mm-hmm. in this project. Um, particularly, Lena Waith has been a a topic of discussion. Yeah. Yeah. She has mm. been, hasn't she? You know, I, I've always kind of felt two things. Um, one, I was raised to watch black people doing things in the media. Um, my dad was a huge, huge um, black film buff. And if a movie came out with a predominantly black cast or a writer or director growing up, we watched it and part of what his thinking was was that if black audiences don't support movies with black content then they will not continue to be made and i think there was a certain Mm. logic to that so there's a conditioning in my head if it's something about black people not just a movie or tv show a, a, a play or an opera and anything i tend to be interested immediately and secondly 
I really reject the idea that all black art necessarily has to be political, right? I think it is politicized, but it does not have to be the intention of the filmmaker to have a political message. And I think that's something that is often placed on black and brown bodies, people of color, women. People project a lot onto our art that I think we don't really get the, you know, art for the sake of art that white men who are artists frequently get. Um, so I, I try to give people a certain amount of space when they're creating things just to have created it, right? And just to let it exist on whatever level they want, free of a political agenda. But boy, is it hard to do that with this. And I think some of it is the timing. I think mm. some of it is mm -hmm. the content. Um, I have been following this one pretty closely. I also don't love horror films, uh, but... Um, Lovecraft Country, which came out last year, um, which blended, you know, like this idea of black people moving around in the 50s, early 60s with the Green Book, with, you know, um, H.P. Lovecraft's own blend of Southern, you know, gothic horror. Mm -hmm. And it came out really, really nicely. Um, shout to Journey Smollett, who I thought was really exceptional yes. in that. Um, she's great in everything, but she's super, super great in that. And I, you know, when I saw them, the way the the ads have been put together, they look the same. So I thought, oh, is this something I, I want to see? And then sort of read about the graphic depictions of, you know, mutilation and and murder and rape that appear in this, and I I knew it wasn't for me at all and definitely not for me right now and it feels like it just falls in this what almost feels like it's a whole genre of movies about black people at specific times in history where the it's like torture porn you know like the mm -hmm. the depictions of black suffering are so incredibly graphic and i think back to the beginning of grad school when 12 years a slave was out and, you know, people couldn't quite wrap their minds around why I would be studying the history of black Americans and really not want to see this. And, and it, I just I didn't want to see that part. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and I feel like the question that I get a lot in this job that I love the most is around how we make decisions about what we're going to program, especially on the main stage here. And, you know, there are many things that go into that idea. But one of the things that I feel like I want to be able to represent to my colleagues in the leadership of Minnesota Opera is that depictions, straightforward depictions of joyous black people, a part of the black experience that we really do not get in opera, but we kind of don't get anywhere, right? Like, that's the thing that I really long to see on stage. I long to see musicalized, just like happy, true, funny, interesting explorations of the Black experience because I feel like the number of works of art that we have that chronicle the other stuff are great and it would be nice to have a little bit more balance with that, you know what I mean? And, and I, I know why, the many reasons why stuff like this doesn't get programmed in the same way. And I think one of the things we have to ask ourselves though, why is it that as a society, we are seemingly so much more comfortable with depictions of black people suffering than we are with ones that are just straightforwardly joyous? Like I, I think that's actually a thing that we as Americans should wrestle with because we really don't get to see it and we don't get to see it frequently. And even those stories where you do get to see a little bit more of that, somehow it feels like, you know, this particular American form of virulent, violent racism still manages to sneak into things, right? And, and not just as a punchline in something farcical, but like full on depictions of it. And, I I find it endlessly troubling, right? And and I look forward to being in a space like this where we have so many opportunities to disrupt that with other kinds of depictions thanks to the the power of commissioning and being able to amplify things that already exist that haven't taken as their mandate, 
the desire to reinforce some of these ideas? Oh, man. I mean, I just have so many thoughts about everything that you just said. It's kind of like there's like a <laughs> 10 car pileup going on in my head. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like I, I, I'll i just start somewhere. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned um, Lovecraft Country. Um, you know, I, I have not seen the show, but I it's interesting because like I hate horror movies like completely hate watching them but i love <laughs> reading about them <laughs> and i and i love because i don't know i guess it's just part of you know from a very writerly sort of standpoint um you know i enjoy sort of reading about the things that like come out of people's brains that mm-hmm. like kind of scare them mm-hmm. um the stories that we tell um each other um so I've read a lot of the media that surrounded Lovecraft Country, um, especially, you know, when it premiered. And one of the things that really resonated with me um, that I've talked to a couple of people here at the opera about um, was this notion um, sort of at the very beginning of the show. Um, you know, I think, as most of us know, H.P. Lovecraft was quite the racist mm-hmm. um, and anti-Semite and all of those things. All of and the above. So heard, yeah. <laughs> and so the main character of the show, you know, carries around, you know, some of Lovecraft's works and, and reads them and enjoys them. And, you know, it's it's how do we consume this art that is written by people that hate us mm-hmm. and like all of the things that we are asked to sort of overlook in order to enjoy mm-hmm. a piece of art mm-hmm. um all of the things that like we are asked to sort of overlook sort of asked to give up um in order to enjoy a piece of science fiction mm-hmm. enjoy a piece of of, of opera mm-hmm. even um, and so to have these stories that are told by black folks mm-hmm. who so, I mean, I guess when you read the description of mm-hmm. some of these episodes of them, mm-hmm. where it's Ooh. like a woman is an infant, a black infant is murdered while his mother is being raped. A, mm-hmm. a couple. That's the one that got their, me. Yeah, same. Yeah. That's when uh, I same. said, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> In this political climate, I mean, no way. Like, I I couldn't handle that, like, on a completely good day, let alone just no. what's happening in reality no. right now. Or, like, a couple has their eyes gouged out with fire pokers, and then they're burned to death, and all of these things. Like, what? as much as, yes, as much as, like, we are asked to to sort of give of ourselves to deny ourselves just to like enjoy like a science fiction show just to enjoy a three-hour opera now you're gonna ask me to sit here and enjoy those things if y'all can see my face right now i look like oprah during the Meghan markle interview (laughs) the shock the shock I can I understand that like suffering is part of the black experience in America. We're experiencing it right now. Mm-hmm. I get that. But like to I guess I just don't understand the why it is that we need to tell these stories in these ways that are so re-traumatizing. Yeah. And that we're doing yeah. it to ourselves. Yeah. And that, you know, well, you know, it's important to, like, you know, depict, like, everyday racism, like, in these stories. That's not everyday racism. That is not not. everyday racism at all. These are cartoon, these are, like, white cartoon characters, like, you know, doing the most evil, dastardly things possible to black people and black bodies. And, like, that's supposed to be, like, some sort of metaphor for the lady grabbing her purse on the bus right. or me right. getting passed over for a promotion right. or the lady that did my taxes being, saying, you know, well, I don't understand why, you know, they just can't comply with the police when they get out of the car. Like, like no, ma'am. What, no, <laughs> like, 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 what? <laughs> yeah. I, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. And then, and I'm not saying that every story needs to be like sunshine and roses and like, you know. 
but this feels so extreme. Yeah. It it in in my body, and I I was just like you, Lee. Like when twelve years when twelve years of slave came out, I I wasn't interested in seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I understand it's an important story and people need to be told, but I feel like so many of these stories, and when I hear something like, you know, these plot points in them. It feels like it, it actually isn't for me. Right. Like, this is, right. like, supposed to be some right. sort of morality tale for white people. Yeah. You know, yeah. the same way that, you know, there are operas currently being written about, you know, police brutality, you know, setting Faust in a detention center at the, the southern border. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like, these, right. these are... These are these are stories that actually aren't for me. Yeah. And the fact mm-hmm. that they're being marketed to me um, feels like a lie and feels like violence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, like, if this is, like, some sort of, like, fairy tale to tell, you know, white folks, like, well, you know, yes, there's racism, but at least you're not this racist. And, like, you know, take this <laughs> as, like, a cautionary tale. Um, you know, if we don't change things, this is what things could look like, you know, or, or whatever it is that's going on. It feels like it's not for me and it feels like it's an act of violence. And like, that's what makes me like so upset about it. And the fact that it's being perpetrated by people that look like me that have like some, so many of the same experiences that look at like what happened to Dante Wright and George Floyd and feel the same way that I do, but then channel it in this way just feels so strange more than anything and maybe it's something that I don't understand but I am confusion (laughs) (laughs) this is why I thought you know this was an important conversation for us to be able to have and to have in this context because I think it's an opportunity to put out to the world to perhaps our hundreds of thousands if not millions of listeners what it is that we think might be compelling for black and brown audiences to hear and and maybe how we want to be communicated with in these contexts because i know for myself what i would appreciate is balance you know what i mean like and that isn't again like there there are people people who look just like me people who are in my own community who may need to have certain kinds of messages delivered to them or maybe in a particular space where, you know, spending some time in the the world of Mudbound or 12 Years a Slave or what have you is exactly what is needed for a catharsis or to process something. But there are also those of us who are, are looking for something a little bit different, right? And I think there's a way that, A, we are not monolithic as an audience. You know, we mm-hmm. we need to be we need to have multiple perspectives given to us in in the same ways that, that anybody else did. Right. And I noticed when I was looking at um, what our colleagues at Michigan Opera Theater are doing in their um, upcoming season, they're doing um, Blue and um, X by Anthony Davis, right? And I thought, wow, this is such an interesting counterpoint about the Black experience at various points in history and taking a a very different approach, right, where most companies are only in a position if they ever do works that feature an all-Black cast. You know, these are not certainly going to be things that happen in the same season, let alone in the same decade in most places, right? But, like, the idea of there is more than one type of message to be communicated to a community of color, I think is is kind of radical in classical music in this moment, right? And I think one of the places where I would really like to see the entire field moving is somewhere that recognizes there are multiple people in a given demographic group who will have different needs, right? And just like if you're thinking about your traditional audience, that may want to see La Boheme and Eugene Onegin in the same season, black and brown audiences also want to have different kinds of experiences when they come to the opera and see themselves represented on stage or when they go to the ballet and hopefully see themselves represented on stage or what have you. And I think a little bit more of this, I don't know, a, 
elastic approach, right? One that <laughs> feels like it's okay to stretch artistically and demographically is something that I think is going to be very, very good for the field looking forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when you, when you bring up, you know, wanting to have more black joy and more uh, a multiplicity of our experiences mm -hmm. rep represented. Um, for me, it's also about like honoring our complexity that mm -hmm. we're human. I, it's hard to describe other than saying, go read some Toni Morrison, go read an August Wilson play, <laughs> go read one of them to look, see what it looks like to actually center like black people, our full humanity. I was talking to a friend about this just yesterday. Oh, right on time. Um, she introduced <laughs> me to this article about um, black theater versus African-American theater. Mm. And yeah, intriguing, this is right? About to get good, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, my ears are perked. <laughs> yes, the article is called "Don't Call African American Theater Black Theater." It's like calling a dog a cat. Um, Dominic <laughs> Taylor put this together. Shout out to you! Ooh, and send me the link. I sure will. I sure will. Um, but basically, is you know making the the argument that that black theater is really the about us, by us, mm -hmm. for us, mm -hmm. um, near mm -hmm. us. Like it's mm -hmm. taken from, the tenets are like, it's taken from cultural and cultural practices of black life. Mm -hmm. um, traditional like structure is is not prioritized. There's not, e there's not a standard protagonist, antagonist approach. Mm -hmm. um, that there's, it, we have robust internal lives. Uh, the material and spiritual worlds in black theater are actively engaged. I'm just reading like keywords from mm -hmm. these different like tenets. Um, they don't resolve themselves conventionally. Um, it's not trying to restate a fact mm -hmm. or make you believe something. It's about searching mm -hmm. for truth. And then there's African-American theater that is more used to uh, this, I think the first one is a great summary. It uses an event to explicate personal pain so that the mm. black person is removed from the collective and is made singular. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, its fundamental goal is to build bridges with other communities or make them more empathetic as a, mm -hmm. opposed to addressing black people. Um, it finds itself like describing us in relation to whiteness solely. There may be mm -hmm. white saviors or allies, uh, most often developed in white institutions. <laughs> um, many of them focus on victimization. Yeah. Hmm. And that is exactly what I was trying to say. With <laughs> they said it much more eloquently than I ever did. <laughs> but like a story like them is not for us. Yeah. It's 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 not yeah. meant to be consumed by us. So mm. like the fact that it's being marketed towards us because like there's black people in it, like that's it it it, it just doesn't make sense because yeah. like this is. This is an act of, uh, I know I keep saying it, but it, it feels like an act of emotional violence. Yeah. It is. And, you know, so often, you know, you talk to folks and, you know, when I, people ask me to like sort of explain my job um, or explain like what we're doing at Minnesota Opera in terms of equity and diversity and access and inclusion, um, you know, like the, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give like my, you know, my little elevator pitch and you know people would be like oh my gosh that that's so great because that's so important <laughs> that's so important <laughs> oh my god it's just so important <laughs> and I'll, and i'll just be like oh, okay great like why is that important to you like what what's what's your connection what how how do you feel about that your comfort level or your your interest level and they're just like it's important because 
It's so important, so important, and all humans should be equal, and, you know, whatever. And, like, that's the type of, those are the type of people that I feel like, you know, things like them, things like Mm -hmm. the African-American theater, Mm -hmm. like, that's who those stories are for, for the people who, like, want to feel... Like they are part of a solution when they don't even know what the problem is. Yeah. There's still that wall. There's still that familiarity, that comfort with black suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's what Mm -hmm. they're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. And they're used to seeing these white saviors Mm -hmm. or they're used to seeing these, you know, cartoonish white villains. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 And there's a there's a certain level of, of comfort in that. Well, yeah. like, well, you know, I'm I'm like this this hero. I'm not like the villain. Right. And the black person who this is all happening to in these stories are completely lost. Yeah. Because that mm-hmm. story is not about them. Is not about that black family. Yeah. No. Them is about the the white racists. Yeah. Who are doing all of these horrible things to that black family. Yeah. And. I just feel like, yes, we just need to get to that place, that black theater place. It's mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's, that was just so wonderfully sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That just blew my mind. I need that link, please. <laughs> <laughs> I will gladly share. And like, mm, yes. And like, I, I think so much about like, what about the especially when with stuff like them where it's depicting a sort of historical you know violence or it's like a historical element of historical fiction involved mm-hmm. i'm like yo what about my ancestors like mm-hmm. <laughs> respect yeah. my ancestors would you want yeah. somebody talking about putting your grandma's traumatic story on screen yeah. like that my would God. you want somebody doing that and that's the thing, too. It's like this story takes place, what, in like the 50s or the 60s or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like our grandparents were there. Yeah. They were alive. This isn't This isn't even a story about my ancestors. This no. is a story about my grandmother. She's right. still alive in South Carolina, 100 right. years old. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are we even doing? Yeah. 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 I mean, absolutely. There, there, it, so many things, I feel like, come down to... The, the set of business decisions that are being made about things as they roll out. And, you know, to your earlier point, um, Paige, this is why, like, this for me isn't just about Lena Waithe, right? This is about an entire system that is set up to put out things that are meant to be sort of um, consumed in decontextualized ways, right? Like this kind of way of parsing out things and calling something something that it is not and allowing it just to exist in this place of entertainment and making money and you know i have no desire to knock lena's hustle or come between her and her career being successful i just have to call out when i feel like something isn't really for me just like Mm -hmm. you know 10 Mm -hmm. 15 years ago having you know certain friends mostly straight friends criticizing me and saying things like I can't believe you don't watch this you know particular television show or movie that is clearly targeted to the gay community and there would be times that I'd be like but this is about the about a version of the gay community for your consumption it is here to explain something to you to represent something to you I do not see myself or my life or my friends or for the most part, anybody that I dated represented in these characters or on this show. And I feel like now, years later, there have been so many movies and television shows that have black characters, black leads, that are seemingly being marketed to us, that when I actually like peel off of, you know, just one thin layer, one little piece of the veneer, it becomes very apparent this isn't for me. This isn't about me. Nobody was thinking about mm-hmm, me yeah. when they produced this, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that and that's what it is. But 
somebody needs to be out there representing our interest, what it is that we want to see, whoever the hour is in that, you know, little statement. And I think the more we're able not only to have like a seat at the table, you know, that overused analogy, but really coming and building our own tables, bringing our own seats, having our own conversations around what needs to be produced for people who are falling into groups like ours. I think that's actually how you see things shifting. And I know we've talked a little bit about really wanting to cover some of that ground on the podcast. Um, and, and maybe this is a thing for some of our listeners to share with us. Who out there do you feel like is producing interesting content that represents in a dynamic, thoughtful, complicated way the experience of people like you? Like who's doing this work? Who's doing it well? Who should I be making my own required viewing list? Who should be on there? I'm, I'm very curious to hear from people who's doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually a very interesting segue <laughs> because I forgot to tell both of you before we started recording um, <laughs> that I had our wonderful IT guy, Tony, create a new email address for us. Yay! Which is the score, T H E S C O R E, at mnopera.org. So please write to us, answer these questions, any other questions that you may have. Uh, any comments if we have offended you in some way? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, don't do that. I don't, I don't actually. I mean, I, I, I guess I sort of care. I'll read it. <laughs> but, you know, if your comment or your question is cool, like, well, well, you know, we'll answer it on air or read it on air. So, yeah, please, please write into us. Please let us know, you know, what you're thinking and what you're feeling um, because we want to, we do this, we do this for all of you. And uh, maybe we could also do like a a brief moment of appreciation for Tony, who is like a a one-man IT machine. I've had more than my fair share of IT needs in this transition and he's been absolutely great. So thank you, Tony. You rock, Tony. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially in the middle of pancake breakfast, you have been a, <laughs> you have been a rock star, and we love you. Thank you, Tony. Thanks. <laughs> but you know what everyone needs after this ridiculous, stupid, horrible week? A moment of pure black joy. Stay tuned. We'll be right back for that. But this is actually. Um, a story coming out of Georgia and uh, West Virginia. Um, Latasha Brown, who many of you will recognize her name for all of the really impressive work that her group, Black Voters Matter, did this past election cycle in Georgia, is partnering with Margot Miller of the Appalachian Community Fund to do this um, really fantastic fundraising drive, um, $100 million over the course of the next 10 years for black girls and women in the South. Really appreciating the many, many ways that this is a huge percentage of our population that has been underserved and ignored by so many other efforts, um, governmentally, philanthropically, corporate, just really has not taken up the issues that have been close to these communities. And this is something that's near and dear to my heart because for the better part of the last 15 years, I've worked with this group called the Black Feminist Project run by Tanya Fields that is taken to do a lot of these similar efforts, right? So I really wanted to lift up the work of Miss Brown and Miss Miller. It's very exciting to me. I hope everybody goes out and looks up this effort and you know, please donate, please share. Um, please make sure that other people know. It's called the Southern Black Girls and Women Consortium. Um, it's also uh, Felicia Lucky and Alice Jenkins, among other folks, are also contributing to this consortium. And I'm very excited about the work. That mm-hmm. The thing I immediately think of is just like, this is just a large scale representation of what I've experienced my whole life, that Black women support each other like nobody else like at every i can guarantee you that 
every major change in my life, every blessing, every achievement, there was a black woman that made it possible. Like, or or made it a heck of a lot easier than it would have been on my own. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just want to thank all of you so much for listening and for sharing this space with us. Um, I know it's been a, a horrible, horrible week, um, but just want to send... Um, vibes of healing and strength out to everyone um, especially the family of Dante Wright and his community his friends um, everyone who knew him and loved him Um, and please don't forget um, the score at mnopera.org our new email please feel free to send any questions or comments or anything like that first listener letter I'm actually, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I wonder what people are gonna are they gonna ask us things, or are they gonna write in opinions, or what if they drag us? Mm, I don't know. I guess we'll see. About that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um don't forget to subscribe um to leave a review send it to your friends anyone who needs to um hear us in their ears um and uh, yeah until uh until next time we'll see you in two weeks okay bye bye y'all bye everybody